0: The Presbyterian church called a meeting to decide what to do about their squirrel infestation. After much prayer and consideration, they concluded that the squirrels were predestined to be there and they shouldn't interfere with God's divine will. At the Baptist church, the squirrels had taken an interest in the baptistry. The deacons met and decided to put a water slide in the baptistry and let the squirrels drown themselves. The squirrels liked the slide and unfortunately knew instinctively how to swim, so twice as many squirrels showed up the following week. The Lutheran church decided that they were not in a position to harm any of God's creatures, so they humanely trapped their squirrels and set them free near the Baptist church. (laughs) Two weeks later, the squirrels were back when the Baptist took down the water slide. But the Catholic Church came up with a very creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and made them members of the church. Now they only see them at Christmas and Easter. (laughs) Not much. move away from that. Okay, not much was heard from the Jewish synagogue. They took the first squirrel and circumcised him, and they haven't seen any squirrels (laughs) since. That's got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but it helps me just to... You know, I, I, I love what, what was being shared this morning and, and uh, I'm excited. I wake up in the morning and, and quite honestly, I am excited because God loves me. It, it is, it's wonderful and it's all I ever really want to preach on. But the Holy Spirit has other ideas. Now, this was, this was not my choice of what I wanted to speak on this morning. Is that how far I can go? Thank you. <laughs> But my favorite book is the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. (laughs) I love the book of Ephesians, especially the first three chapters. The first three chapters of Ephesians are God has blessed the socks off of you. God has done so much for you. God has blessed you beyond anything you could think of. That's the first three chapters. And then the last three chapters, which I also like, love the first three, like the last three, are basically, because he's done so much, you need to respond in this way. Because he loves you so much, you need to respond in this way. So I am sharing about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day set aside for rest and worship. It's a time to draw aside from the hustle and bustle of daily living and a time to focus on God. Now, I, I didn't. another reason I didn't want to talk on this is it is something that does not come naturally for me. Being in God's presence is something that doesn't come naturally for me. I had a dream. This was years and years ago when I was actually young. But this was God speaking to me and telling me where I was at. So in my dream, I was praying, and God was speaking to me. And God said to me, Mary, I want you to go to China. And the minute he said that, I was up off my feet, packed my bag, got on a plane, and I was out of there. And in the dream, I could hear God finishing the sentence, town in Toronto. And and that's where I was at. You know, as soon as God begins to speak, I wanted to move. I wanted to to be obedient and to do what God was calling me to do. And God was saying, slow down, Mary. Slow down. Spend time in my presence. 1 Timothy 4.16. Give careful attention to your spiritual life. And every cherished truth you teach... For living what you preach will then release even more abundant life inside you and to all those who listen to you. I am much better, much, much better than I was. But again, I feel guilty speaking on it because I'm better because, number one, Mike and I are empty nesters. It is wonderful. I mean, I love my kids, but I love the fact that they don't live with us anymore. Plus, I only work part time and, and uh, I recognize it is so much easier for me. So I, I thought, well, it's, it's cheating if I, I speak on this because it's easier for me. And for some people I'm talking to, it's much harder. But no matter what excuse I brought up, the Lord made it clear that this was what he wanted me to speak on. So Genesis 2. One to three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And I read this (coughs) a few times and what became clear to me the seventh day was holy, it wasn't that God was tired, it wasn't that, that, that God was looking back and say, oh yeah, I did a good job, look at my, I mean, he did. I mean, wow. But it was holy because on it, he rested. It was the rest that was holy. It wasn't the creation that was the big deal. It wasn't that he was tired. God was setting something up here, right at the beginning, in Genesis, chapter 2. He's setting something up. This is something that is incredibly important. There's this book I got hold of, uh, Mrs. Letty Cowman, or I don't know how you pronounce it, called Springs in the Valley. She was a a missionary, and she said, in the deep jungles of Africa, a traveler was making a long trek. Coolies had been engaged from a tribe to carry the loads. The first day, they marched rapidly and went far. The traveler had high hopes of a speedy journey. But on the second morning, those tribesmen refused to move. For some strange reason, they just sat and rested. On inquiry as to the reason for this strange behavior, the traveler was informed that they'd gone too fast the first day and they were now waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. And what this missionary lady said, this whirling, rushing life which so many of us live does does for us what that first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference... They knew they needed to restore life's balance. Too often, we don't. Okay, what happens when God rests? I said God rested on the seventh day, so I'm jumping to Exodus 31, 16 and 17. This is where the law was introduced, and it says the, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God was refreshed when he rested. What about everyone else? Well, a bit further on, Genesis 23 Actually, that was earlier, but 10 to 12. For six years, you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. The poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive groves. Six days do your work, but on the seventh do not work. So that your ox and your donkey may rest, And so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. How many have been on holiday over the summer and come back refreshed? And how long did that last? You know, our our culture encourages us to be busy. Is that what God wants for us? Simple question. Is that what God wants for us? Now, I I started on this. We have uh, a ladies group that meets, uh, a wonderful group. And over the summer, instead of one person leading all the way through, we share it out. We go to different homes and different people get to lead. So I had my turn coming up. I didn't want to teach or talk because the beauty of the ladies' group is that everyone gets to share. So I thought, okay, what are we going to do? Well, I love doing Lectio Divina. It is Someone mentioned about going, ah, Jenny, going into Uganda, and there'd be one Bible for a whole group of people. That's how Lectio Divina started. There was one Bible in a monastery, and all these monks. And so what they would do is they would read, one person would read and reread and reread a passage, and they would engage in that passage. It came out of the Catholic Church. It is a wonderful way of reading scripture. Um, I wanted to include (coughs) the Ignatius spirituality There's a Ignatius uh, retreat center, highly recommended in Guelph, wonderful place. I've done the Ignatian exercises. Love them, love them. What Ignatius does is you use your imagination. So uh, you read a scripture and you imagine that you are there. So I combined these two things. I, I felt like we're gonna read a scripture and God's going to speak to us, each one, through that scripture. So then the problem was, well, what scripture do I choose? I didn't have a clue. So uh, I prayed. Now, I know the best way for doing this is to have a story from the gospel and not just teaching, but where people are talking to one another, particularly Jesus, because uh, that's what the gospel is all about. So, well, that narrowed it down a bit. But still, I didn't know... What there's lots in the gospel. Which ones do I choose? And I was flipping through the gospel, and I was at one particular place, and suddenly my heart seemed to beat faster and, and louder. And I thought, oh, is this the one that you want, Lord? And I started reading it, logically had absolutely no understanding why the scripture would be of any interest or importance. I mean, everything's important, but could not understand why this would be uh, the scripture that we use, but felt the Lord saying, yep, this is the one. So, I'm gonna read the scripture to you. This is the one that I felt the Lord led me to for the ladies group. And it is Luke 6, one to 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain Rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was preaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So we read this scripture uh, twice and then for seven minutes each one of us engaged in that scripture. We were there at that time. We were either a witness watching it happen or we were one of the followers of Jesus and we were participating whatever it was wherever we felt. And uh, as everyone else was waiting... I found myself, all I could do was ask questions. And uh, I was asking Jesus questions. You know, the first thing, well, Jesus, why didn't you know this was the law? I mean, obviously, it wasn't the law in the Old Testament, but the Pharisees had introduced these laws. He'd been around long enough. For goodness sake, why did they have to tell you? I mean, I didn't quite put it like that, but... I, I've, I found myself asking Jesus, why? Why did they have to say anything? And, and of course, Jesus, for him, it wasn't as important as it was for the Pharisees. And I, I want to add quickly, you know, I, I really feel sometimes the Pharisees get a bum rap. I recognize I myself have in the past criticized people in there, without saying anything, for cultural reasons, not for right or wrong, but for things that in my culture, that's not acceptable. And, and I've criticized people, and really that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were criticizing Jesus for cultural reasons, or what they thought was the law. Then I was asking, why did Jesus bring up this story about David? You know, I mean, it it often confuses me the things that Jesus does and says. I, I remember a long time ago when the WWJD bracelets were out. What would Jesus do? Which always... Bothered me when I saw them because I thought, what would Jesus do? He'd heal the sick, he'd raise the dead, he'd cast out demons. What do you need that for? I can tell you that. But I didn't say that, but it used to frustrate me. But sometimes I think, I, I need that. Maybe what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? Because I wouldn't have said what Jesus said. I would have wanted to say it different. Why did Jesus bring up this story about David? <coughs> I mean, the, the story about David, David's fleeing from Saul. It's in 2 Samuel. David is running away from Saul. It's become clear that Saul wants to kill him. So he goes to a, a priest and he doesn't tell the priest what's happening. So he's he's not telling the truth for a start. He says, Oh, I'm on a secret missing. He doesn't say he's running away from Saul. And uh, I I need food. And there is no food. All that's there is the consecrated bread. And according to the law, and that is there, according to the law, only the priests were allowed to eat the consecrated bread. Uh, But the priest gave it to David so that he could eat, and he gave it to his men. And I'm thinking, you know, why did you bring that up? I mean, there was a need. Now... I, I took this scripture, seven minutes was never enough for me. I took this scripture later, and I looked at another one, where is it? Matthew 12, 1, where it says his disciples were hungry. So I thought, well, maybe there was something of a need there. But, uh, so I'm asking Jesus all these questions. The first response I felt was Jesus was validating me. Mary, it's okay to ask questions. And, and you'll see throughout scripture, often when other people ask Jesus, he never answers directly. He always seems to answer with a, another question. So I, I wasn't too surprised that I didn't get a da 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 da, 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 da. But, um, So I, I continue to struggle with this scripture. Jesus, the Holy Spirit had brought it up, so why, why was I, I was asking these questions, why was I struggling with it? And here we have Matthew 2.27. The Sabbath was made for the sake of people and not people for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was introduced to bless us, not to burden us. And I think this is part of what Jesus was saying here. He didn't say, you know, this is what I would have said. Excuse me, Jesus, I'll write your script. This is what I would have had Jesus say. I would have had Jesus say, well, um, I'm the, the law's pointing to me, and now I'm here, you don't need to observe it anymore, so we're scrapping the Sabbath, just follow me and you'll be okie-dokie. You know, that's what I would have suggested Jesus said, but Jesus never said that. And I think, I believe, it's because the Sabbath is not finished. Because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was introduced to bless us, not to burden us. You know, when the Sabbath was introduced, it was in the wilderness. These guys, they'd been uh, slaves Uh, years and years in the wilderness, you know, slaves generally work seven days a week. I don't know how many hours, but they they work, they work, they work. And then you go in the wilderness and there's a law, six days you're going to work, one day you're going to take off. Now, would that have been a blessing or a burden? You know, it would have been a blessing because slaves cannot take a day off. Free people can. So what are we? Slaves can't take a day off. Free people can. What are we? I remember, because I'm old, and I can't, 40, 50 years ago, whatever, in the UK, and I don't know what was happening here in Canada, there was a, a huge struggle because they wanted to open the stores on Sundays. And I remember all the arguing and the churches standing up and saying how wrong it was, and the fight that we had, and we all believed it. And I remember that struggle. And then there was this movie. Actually, I went rowing the other day. Actually, I go rowing most three times a week if I can. So I was rowing, and, and the beauty of rowing is you can't see where you're going, which is quite nice. You see where you've been and everything and you're relaxed because you're not, but you can't see where you're going. I'm in a skull and I'm rowing backwards and I do look every now and again in case I'm gonna hit something. And I'm rowing away and suddenly I hear voices behind me. So I stick my oars in to slow down quickly and turn round and behind me there's a canoe in the canoe, there's uh, a man and his teenage son. They can't see me because they're going forward. I can't see them because I'm going back. But I'm going so fast compared to them that I nearly go into the back of them. And uh, you know, I, I, I always get excited, yeah, I'm going fast. And, but I need to recognize, I mean, I do recognize that I'm only going fast because of my boat. I am not stronger than an adult male and his 15-year-old son. Nowhere near. But because of my boat, I'm going faster. And I need to recognize that in my walk with the Lord, too. I'm understanding some things that years ago people didn't seem to understand. There was this movie. I love this movie, Chariots of Fire. And in this movie, basically, it's the story of Eric Liddell, a man who loved God, loved God with all his heart, actually died as a missionary in China. Um, But he wouldn't race on a Sunday. He was a runner. He was really fast, wouldn't race on a Sunday. So he couldn't go in for the, the race that he was trained for. And he was going into another race. An American comes up to him and gives this this piece of paper that says, those that honor God, God will honor. And God did honor Eric Liddell, won whatever the race was. But you see in another part of the film, he's going to church and kids are playing football, soccer. In Scotland, football. Football is when you kick the ball. Anyway, he stops them saying, you shouldn't do that on a Sunday. And it's it just, ooh. But you see on the Monday, he's out there and he plays with them. And to have a star play with them, that made up for it. But it's, it's so important that we don't look down on people who have different convictions. And, uh, and I, I wonder, you know, but it's so easy to be a Pharisee. We want rules. We want to know what can we do, what can't we do. And Jesus is reminding us here that the Sabbath is meant to be life-giving. It is meant to be a blessing. The the other part of the story I read was the, the guy with the shriveled hand that Jesus healed. And I have to admit one of my reactions was, why didn't you put him off to the next day? Well, then I read a story, you know, I mean, because it's not as if he was dying. You're not dying if you've got a shriveled hand. So why didn't Jesus say, oh, come back tomorrow and be healed then? And then, of course, I read Luke 13, 14 to 16. Indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Makes sense to me. Six days? Don't come on the Sabbath, come on another day. Well, let's see, what did Jesus say? The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath? Jesus is clearly saying it is right to meet needs and it is important to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, life-giving, not life-draining. And, you know, you read through the Gospels and you would have reason to say, I don't think Jesus observed the Sabbath. You could conclude that. I don't think it's true. I think these were drawn out because there were exceptions rather than rules that I don't think he went out every Sabbath looking for people to heal. But if someone came to him, he didn't say, oh, can you come back tomorrow? He healed then. And so you'd be forgiven for for thinking that, Maybe it wasn't important to him. Well, you look through other scriptures, and uh, here's one, Luke 5, 15 to 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew. Matthew 14, 23, he went up the mountain. Mark 1:35, he went to a secluded place. And so the conclusion I've come to is the Sabbath doesn't have to be a whole day. It is not necessary. It is often impractical for us to take a, a, a whole day off. What is important is to recognize the need that we need to withdraw from the hustle and bustle of life. We need to take time and be alone with God and to schedule in that time. Maybe an hour here, maybe two hours there, maybe a day here or a day there. And also, uh, the Jews, they had a, a name for the day before, Matthew, 15, no, Mark 15:42. They call it the, the preparation day. And that basically says to me, you have to do something in order to be able to have Sabbath. Whether it's an hour or two hours, there needs to be some things that you set in place so that you can pull back and be alone with God. And they're very practical things, and it depends on your situation. Like if you've got little kids, one parent has them for two hours, and then another parent has them so that you can be alone I I know for me, we went on holiday with our grandkids and our our daughter and son-in-law got to sleep in in the morning because first thing, they all come into our bed and Mike left. So there were four kids and he went to make a cup of tea. And I always have my, my time alone with the Lord in the morning, so I have to be flexible. I change it. But it is a priority. I know I do not do well if I don't have time with the Lord. And it doesn't have to be uh, quiet even, or it doesn't have to be stuck in a room. It was just a, a wonderful thing for me when I first realized that I could have my prayer time other than on my knees by my bed. Because when I'm on my knees by my bed, it's like, oh, I should do something with my nails. And oh, I, I mean, I, 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 I struggle. When I was teaching, I would look forward to coming home and taking my dog out. Because that was my time of rest. That was my time of drawing away. I would read scripture in the morning before I go out to work. I'd come home. I'd take my dog for a walk or a run. And that would be my time of just drawing back from the world and being alone with God. Now, I love formulas. I mean, I teach math, so why wouldn't I? I love formulas. I am not giving a formula here. I am not giving an easy way to get more anointed and more powerful. We love formulas, though. Jackie, Jackie Pullinger tells this story. She was in China. <clears throat> there was this pastor in China, and he was going to preach at a village nearby. And he was walking on his way there, and uh, they have these open wells by the side of the road. And he stopped to get a drink. And as he got a drink, he leant over, and he fell. And he fell down the well. Now, fortunately... His leg got caught in the the well rope, so he didn't go all the way to the bottom. But his legs were tangled in the rope. He's hanging upside down in the well. And he's calling out, help, Help!" well, in Chinese, whatever it is. But he was calling for help. He was there for 45 minutes, calling out, asking someone to come. And eventually, villagers heard him. They came. They got him out. He went, continued on his way to the church, and he preached his sermon, because he was this dedicated man of God, and he was going to preach, come what may, and he had a blast. And afterwards, not one or two, but most of the congregation came up to him and said, you were so anointed this morning, that was just the most powerful sermon I have ever heard you preach, that was great. So the pastor goes away and thinks, what did I do differently? How did I get this anointing? And he looked at how he prepared. And everything was the same as usual, except he fell down the well and hung there for 45 minutes. And I kid you not, after that he shared it and there were several other Chinese pastors before they would preach, they would go and hang themselves upside down in the well for 45 minutes in order to be greater anointed. We all love shortcuts. We all love formulas. What can I do to be more anointed? What I'm sharing this morning is not a shortcut. It needs to become a lifestyle. We need to work at building a relationship. We need to work at spending time with God, pulling away from the world, and we need to schedule it in every day if possible, some days longer than others, but we need this time to build our relationship, to build our intimacy. And I'm just gonna add one thing because this is my favorite uh, topic. One thing, because I know if I were hearing this, my first question would be, well, what do I do? I come and I'm alone with God. What do I do? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, always be always giving thanks. For this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. And it is so easy to be grateful when things are going right, so easy to worship when things are going right. What about when things are going wrong? I had my uh, first day back at school. I teach at at Conestoga, and... uh, Didn't start, don't start on Tuesday until 2, teach 2 till 9. And found myself meditating, because that's what meditating is, just going over and over in my mind, everything that could possibly go wrong. I'm not going to be able to find anywhere to park. There's going to be too many cars and I won't be able to park. And then when I do park, I won't be able to get my parking ticket up in time, and I'm going to be fine. I won't be, and I'm just going through. And, and suddenly I realized, good grief, Mary, what are you doing? And I'd done everything I needed to do to prepare. It wasn't that I hadn't done that. But I was just meditating on everything that could go wrong, It's called worrying, basically. And, and I realized what I was doing, and suddenly I just stopped. And I said, I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship God. And so I started singing and worshiping God. And it was a choice because I didn't feel like it. What I felt like was this turmoil of how I was convinced everything was going to go wrong on my first day back at school, which it didn't, by the way, went very well. Except for my last class when no one turned up, which was actually quite good. (laughs) But... It's it's a choice, and I recognize that. We need to make that choice. This needs to be part of our daily relationship with God. I will choose to give thanks. I can always think of things to be grateful for. I will choose to worship. I will choose to declare the truth. I am a child of God. I belong to the Father. He actually likes me. psalm 9 verse 2 i will be glad and rejoice in you i will sing the praises of your name o most high you know if you want more joy in your life you need to praise god more it's as simple as that if you want more joy spend more time with god praise god more romans 14 17 for the kingdom of god is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you do not have to be full of faith to do it. I shared last week Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. It is the way into the presence of God. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So in all of this, yes, we've got to spend time with God. Yes, we've got to pull away from the world. Yes, it is imperative. We all need it. We all need to do it. I I still remember with uh, disappointment, we were in YWAM for years, and and, uh, I remember going to one meeting. I don't know, maybe 120, 150 people there And the leader said, how many people are having a regular time with the Lord? And 11 of us stood up. It's so easy, so easy to get busy and to leave God out of it. But we need to recognize, we need to spend time with God. We need to, in that time, cultivate an attitude of gratitude. We need to praise God, whether we feel like it or not. And we need to be there with God. So that's all I'm going to say. And before I sit down, you know, I, I, don't, I hate sharing something and then every goes, everyone goes away and says, oh, that was nice, thank you very much. So I'm going to give you two minutes of silence where I want you to be alone with God and say, God, what should my response be? You know, And maybe you already regularly have 10 minutes a day with the Lord, which is great. Maybe your response should be, make it 15. Maybe you have an hour with the Lord every day. Maybe your response should be, well, on Sunday, I'm gonna do two hours. Because each one of us, we need to cultivate our relationship with God. We need to work on that intimacy. You will not get that intimacy by being here Sunday morning. You will get that intimacy Monday morning or Monday afternoon, whenever. But it has to be your choice. So I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to wait. Everyone's going to be quiet for two minutes where you speak to God and say, God, what should my response be? Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you that you care for each one of us. Thank you that you want us to be with you and to spend time with you. And Father, I I pray that you would speak to each one of us and show us what it is that our response should be this morning.